And so David is in a series in Leviticus. If Leviticus is the movie, this is the prequel. Uh, we're in Exodus 34. Um, this is just a few fun facts that I found interesting. Exodus 34 is the f- 6 and 7 is the first description of God's God gives of his character in the Bible. It is also the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. If I remember correctly, it is referenced or quoted 27 times. So this verse mattered a lot to the people um, who, who wrote in the Old Testament. And because of that, um, we see God's goodness. There's a very heavy theme. David has talked about how presence is a big theme, of God is a big theme in Leviticus. It is a m- massive theme in, Le- in Exodus. Israel makes a covenant with God. They then reject God's presence by both making, putting another God before him, making an image. And when Aaron said, this is your God, the golden calf, they rejected God's presence with them. God actually called all of Israel up on the mountain and they said, no, you're too scary. Uh, we send Moses. And so Israel has already, before we get here, rejected God's presence. Moses then asks to see God. And he says, no human can see my face and survive, but I will pass in front of you. And so that is where Exodus 34, 6, and 7 takes place. And Exodus 34, 6, 6 and 7 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. And so I would like for you to help me gather some data for my own personal use. I would like to know what stands out to you more. We have an amazingly positive description of God's character. That he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and you could translate that thousands of generations. Yet he, and so he is slow in forgiving wickedness and sin. So we have that description of God's character. And then we have, he punishes, and yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. So we will call, so here's what I would like for you to help me with. Which stands out more? The positive description of God's character or the description that we have more trouble dealing with. So if you would, show of hands, who the positive description stands out more? Who the, neg- the God punishes sin to the third and to the fourth generation? And I think we see, we see a tension here. We see that God is good, that he is gracious, that he is loving, that even in Israel's rebellion, that he forgives sin. And that will be a pretty consistent theme with Israel, that God forgives sin and rebellion. 
Yet he is a holy, just God who cannot have sin in his presence. And he is a holy and just God who cannot leave sin unpunished. And so we are left with this tension where we as humans do not fully understand. We don't comprehend the goodness of God, but we really like to talk about that. And if you spend a lot of time around church, we really want to tell you about the goodness of God. And yet we cannot skip over the fact that God says he punishes sin. And I think that that for some of us there is this this idea of God that he's basically like playing cosmic whack-a-mole where he is just waiting to drop the hammer and he's just hoping that he gets this opportunity that he can punish someone. And not only is that not good enough, that, that we're waiting for God to not only drop the hammer on us, we're waiting for God to drop the hammer on our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And Jeremiah comments on this. Because the, the, to the third and the fourth generation, generation is not present in the Hebrew. I don't read Hebrew. I had people tell me that. That generation is not present. But to the third or the fourth is a Hebrew idiom, meaning as long as is necessary. And Jeremiah comments on this in Jeremiah 32, 18 and 19, where he says, You shall love to thousands, but bring punishment for parents' sins into the laps of the children after them. That sounds a lot like Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, greater your purposes and mightier your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as as their deeds deserve. And so Jeremiah kind of gives commentary where he says, you reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. And the idea here is present that God punishes sin according to what we deserve. That each generation is judged and is held accountable for what they do based on what, we, what they do. And we don't have to look very far to see the effect of sin, that it can have a, an effect on multiple generations. Yet when we talk about God's punishment, when we talk about a just God, he, there is actually this reassurance that even in the part that we don't understand, that God is true to his character and nature, and that even in his punishment of sin, that he holds each each person, each group accountable, and that he is long, the term is long in forgiving, or patient in forgiving, even rebellion. And, and I think that if we look in our lives, we can see God's goodness, God's grace, and God's forgiveness. We can probably see some discipline too. But I think that even in God's punishment, we see his character. We see his goodness. We see his, his desire that even in the need to punish sin, 
that God is good. And so God made a covenant with Israel. They immediately broke it. God then makes a, a, God then continues with them. God makes a covenant with David that one day a ruler in his genealogy would live on the throne forever. And we see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is described as the embodiment of who God is in, in Exodus 34. That John says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are two of the attributes listed for, for God in Exodus 34. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about and I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of the fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And we see here that if you want to know the character of God, we can look at who Jesus is. We can see God's care for the oppressed, not just through the prophets, but through Jesus. We can see God's love for outcasts, not just through the prophets, but through Jesus. We can see the desire to, to see reconciliation. We see the power of God at work in Jesus. And ultimately, we see the character of God, not just in how Jesus lived, not just in what he said, but in the fact that it still was not good enough just for God to to be good, but rather he decided that he would show his goodness in the person of Jesus when he sent Jesus to the cross. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since you have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we, now have, we have now received reconciliation. And we see that even then we, when we don't always understand what God is doing, we can trust God's character. Because God has been working all of this out from the beginning. That he sent his son in our place. Jesus received our punishment it would be so just for us to receive what we deserve. 
And yet Jesus received our punishment for us, even though he deserved no punishment. And in the person of Jesus, there is life. Because he took our sin and he conquered death. And he walked out of his own tomb. And so we have been reconciled. We have been brought back into life through Jesus. God punished sin, but he gave our penalty to Jesus so that we might live with him forever. Even when we don't understand what God is doing, we trust his heart. God is so good. Jesus is so good. And even after that, he gave us the Holy Spirit. We cannot reject the presence of God when we have been called a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are literally the vessel in which God lives. We have to make sure we do not reject God's presence. We cannot settle for counterfeit substitutes. But we live in the presence of God. We serve a good God who paid our penalty. No people should hate sin more than people have redeemed, been redeemed by Jesus because we know the cost and we know the penalty. And every week, we set aside time and we remember Jesus. We remember that Jesus made a, another covenant. We've talked about several covenants. We remember that Jesus made another one. The covenant of his blood. And we remember that God, the great and compassionate God, who is slow to forgive sin, or who is slow in punishing sin and rebellion, and instead decided that he would punish our sin and our rebellion through Jesus so that we might live. We remember that every, every week. But let our remembrance not end here. Our remembrance is no good if it ends here. Our remembrance has to leave this building. It has to impact and affect everything that we are. So we remember together the body and blood of Jesus. Let us pray. God, you're good. It seems like such a, a terrible description because um, you're so much more than that. But God, may our lives reflect your goodness. May we live in your goodness. May our remembrance spur us into living as people who grow closer to you every day, as people who live out your love. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.